In episode 5 of the Lost for Words podcast, we catch up with three-time PGA Tour winner, Scott Stallings. Uh, I'm joined today by Scott Stallings, a PGA Tour pro. He's got three wins on tour, uh, and he is making a lot of changes in his life, which we're going to discuss right now. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I just wanted to go right back to the beginning, really, and, and talk about your sort of early life and how you got into golf in the first place. I played a lot of sports as a kid. Um, baseball was my first love, I guess. That was probably what I was best at. And uh, basketball, golf, soccer, everything, all throughout my childhood. And, um, you know, golf was something that I kind of did in between seasons, not necessarily like a focus, just kind of something that I did when there wasn't anything else to do. And, I started kind of progressing a little bit. Uh, baseball was still my, my number one sport and we were getting ready to start our spring season and my birthday is the last week in March and I made my first hole in one ever. And then the next <laughs> week was the masters and tiger won by 12 and that was it. You were hooked. I was hooked. Um, called my coach said I was going to play golf and that was what I was going to focus on. And, I mean, kind of the rest is history. Uh, I played some recreational stuff here and there, but no, no like major competitive stuff uh, throughout. <clears throat> and but golf was kind of the focus from 13 on. And how does the the recruiting process go? Obviously, you went to Tennessee. Um, how how did that come about? Uh, I don't know. I, I ended up going to Tennessee Tech. I thought I was going to Tennessee. <laughs> uh, um, I told a lot of people I was going to Tennessee, and it ended up not working out. Uh, we had a, a pretty competitive group of guys from the state of Tennessee. They're all the same age as me, and uh, unfortunately and fortunately in the same time, I ended up uh, at a place I never thought I was going to end up. Uh, I was at Tennessee Tech, and I had some great memories and some great friends that all came from there. <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to have a golf coach there that had played on tour and um, kind of knew uh, some of the just the steps that it was going to take. And he was very encouraging to me very early in my career in college as far as to you know push me to try to dream to dream big and you know try to see where golf could take me. And yes, and when you look at your record there, you had a pretty successful college career. I think, you know, without being modest, you had quite a few wins. And I think it was, is it seven tournaments that you won at college? Uh, something like that. <laughs> you, you it's been a while. while back. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a while for sure. And so then you go from a successful college career. Um, and a lot of players now you see on tour, they go straight from there on to the PJ Tour almost immediately through sponsors invites or um, and things like that. But you actually went to a mini tour for a little while just to, to hone your game, I guess. Yeah, golf's a lot different now than it was, you know, when I got out of school. Like, you could actually make a, a real living uh, playing mini tour golf. Uh, remember between the Hooters Tour and the e-golf tour is what I played when I first got out. There were guys, you know, making into the two hundred thousand dollars in twenty events, and that does not exist anymore, <laughs> unfortunately. And that's the thing. There's quite a big gap now between, as you say, those tours. And do do you think that that is something that they should look back into reintroducing, or do you think it just is what it is now, and that, and that's it, really? No, I think unfortunately it is what it is. Uh, the idea of, excuse me. <clears throat> The idea of going straight from college to, you know, there it's yes and no with the Morikawa, Matt Wolf, Victor Hovland, and the guys coming straight out and getting their tour card. I mean, that is very few and far between. But the idea of going straight from college golf to the PGA Tour is uh, – Nowhere near as achievable as it once was. But I think the development of, of helping guys learning how to travel, learning how to plan a schedule, and learning how to kind of fall in line with this is the next progression with the developmental tours that the, 
PGA Tour has, you know, started to work on. I think that is that was a big adjustment for me in my career to go from. Uh, I remember 2009 is when I got my. Uh, it was the nationwide at the time now Corn Ferry, but uh, it was a big adjustment from being at Web or Q School Finals to, you know, like two and a half weeks later I was flying in New Zealand to <laughs> yeah. play in a tournament and it, like. Uh, the farthest I've traveled to play a tournament's like nowhere near this yeah. <laughs> and just trying to just learning how to manage that. And, you know, there's definitely a learning curve for me, uh, how that, and I think that the way that the system is now will only help those guys progress as far as whether it's China, Latin America, Canada, or throughout, um, any opportunity you have to deal with a little bit of adversity and, and just, some stuff that's outside of your control and just kind of learn how to deal with it, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. And I think you, you touched upon what I wanted to get on there is you actually went to Q school in 2009 and only missed your card for the PJ tour by a single stroke, wasn't it? But that got you your starts on the, the nationwide in 2010. Um, but it, I believe now it's kind of different. If you miss your card is you don't quite get the same status and, and things like that. Is it a little bit more difficult now? Yeah. I mean, you, the, you cannot get your tour card now through Q school. Uh, it's all the, you know, kind of progressive line. You have to work through the corn ferry or the one-offs, you know, playing well in sponsor exemptions on the PGA tour and, and they limit it. Now you only get seven. So guys getting their tour card in seven events is, uh, unprecedented. And, you know, last year was a, a very big anomaly because a few guys did it, but especially with the young guys winning, but, um, made it where it probably insulates the tour guys a little bit because as soon as if you lose your card you go right back to those uh, corn ferry finals and you know make it where it's you have three or four events to get your tour card back in that you know kind of shortened playoff kind of run but it's a it's an interesting scenario just with the way that you know you don't have the guy working at the the home club and guys put some money up for him to go to q school and and next thing you know, he's playing on tour. I remember George McNeil was got a, a lot of uh, publicity from that because he was a, a club assistant club pro at a course, and some guys put a money up, some money up for him to go to Q school, and he got his tour card. And you know, kind of the that dream is over. Um, but I do think that the way that it provides uh, a better kind of footing for guys to start in their career. I think it'll do a lot to kind of make their career uh, just more prepared instead of kind of the fluctuating back and forth. As guys progress, they'll stay uh, better longer. I guess yeah. that's the no, no, best yeah, way to say sense. it. Yeah. And just touching again on that is is you got to the PJ Tour for the first, uh, first time full-time in 2011. Um, it didn't take you very long to <laughs> get get settled. Uh, winning your first year well uh, yes and no I mean if you look at the first part of my season I, I missed my first five cuts and it wasn't <laughs> close <laughs> yeah. um, and it was a, a pretty big dose of reality I got my I got my tour card um, and that changed too um, so if you finished well enough in the nationwide money list you basically got a free run at Q school so okay. like I couldn't ha I couldn't have had a better scenario because i had my I, I didn't get my card through the nationwide tour i got my card through q school yeah but i had i'd played well enough to basically i couldn't have any better status on the nationwide tour than i did so i got to go to finals for free and just freewheel it and if i got my tour card great if if not i was gonna pull i was gonna be fully exempt on the nationwide and play another full year out there and I was playing a practice run at Orange County National with my buddy Scott Brown, who's one of my close friends out there. And we were playing the fourth hole at one of the, I can't remember which one of the courses we were at. And he said, man, if you don't get your card here, you're never going to get it. <laughs> and uh, just the course set up really well for me. And, um, you know, he was right. And I, I finished, I think I finished ninth and got my tour card. And, you know, a month later we're going to Hawaii and, you know, a strong dose of reality that I needed to get a lot better, a lot quicker and just kind of learn with the, 
not necessarily in golf, but I needed to learn how to manage my time better. I need to learn how to kind of get not lost in the fray of all the opportunity there is to play on the PGA tour and just kind of how to deal with that. And I missed my first five cuts, uh, miss every cut on the West coast and ended up playing, made my first cut ever in Puerto Rico. And I was going from Puerto Rico to Tampa and my mentor, big brother, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Kenny Perry was sponsored by transitions and he got me a sponsor exemption, uh, to play in the tournament. And I ended up finishing third and that kind of set the precedent for the rest of the season. And I kind of had that validation of, I had you know been beat over the head so many times by just everything that happened on and off the golf course, by just anything you could do wrong mentally, physically golf wise, I was doing it and kind of get caught up in the moment a little bit too much and, um, not really taking ownership of the situation as far as, you know, I, I was good enough with the game that I had instead of trying to force myself into being something that I wasn't. And, uh, Kenny was very gracious to help me do that. And, um, he was very encouraging the entire time uh, throughout the event and, uh, kind of, uh, transpired, uh, some really cool moments throughout that week. Uh, another side story that the sixth hole, uh, in the practice round, I hold it for Eagle and we were playing a little money game <laughs> and we let two, we let two groups pass through because I, I've, I had not been yelled at or talked to like by another adult that wasn't related to me like that. And it was <laughs> Kenny and he just was fed up with how, I, I don't know, I was five or six under through the practice round. I had got off to a really good start. and uh, I made it for Eagle in the middle of the fairway on the sixth hole, and he said, I've had enough of this. And <laughs> just pr- proceeded to just let me about 30 minutes. And Justin, who's the same age as me, uh, was and he said, boy, I know that. And he just kept walking, and we let groups play through in a practice round. And he just stood there and just just told me how he felt, how, you know, it, it was time to stop making excuses. It was time to, you know, to play like I'm capable of. And, you know, basically everything that I knew but needed to hear in a little bit different way. And I'll never forget that every time I play the sixth hole at Innisbrook, I start laughing because I can show you exactly where I was when I made it from the fairway. And then when I just proceeded to get scolded for what seemed like an hour, it was probably 15 minutes, but man, it felt, it felt like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was just, it was like, I, I've been on tour 19 years and I, I still remember that like it was yesterday. And, um, Kenny and his wife, Sandy, were very gracious to me and my wife, Jennifer, my first year on tour. And, and still, they're good friends now. Um, we don't see him as much as we did. Uh, Kenny's playing the Champions Tour full time and has eight grandkids. And, you know, kind of the golf side of what he's doing is uh, he's just got a lot of other things going on as well. But the the relationships that come from, you know, kind of driving through that adversity is he took me to dinner the night before my, uh, I played my first final group at Greenbrier. And I honestly, I felt like he was more nervous than I was. Um, but just those kind of, those like little stories that people don't really hear about as far. I mean, Kenny was playing in the final, the final day at Greenbrier as well. I mean, he was trying as best to shoot the lowest score as he possibly could, but for him to take the time to, you know, go out of his way to, you know, encourage me and just kind of be there if I had any questions as far as how to deal with it. I'd never been in the final group of a tour event and um, I just didn't really know what that was like. And, you know, next thing you know, to put myself in that situation and, you know, just kind of have the myriad of emotions that come from the wild day that that was. And for him to be one of the people that I saw when I got done was, was pretty awesome. And that's why I was going to jump in there is that that is the thing where, people do not you know unless these sort of stories get told you don't hear how these players who puts an arm around you who who helps you out and and i'm sure it happens all the time um but you know we just don't see that side of things and for you to say that that's kind of one of the defining moments in the season you still remember it now so it must have been a a big sort of marker for your career really and and it brings you on nicely to the green briar which you got to go to the final round um in in the final pairing 
and the job wasn't done there. You had to go to a playoff as well. Yeah, that was one of the last Anthony Kim sightings. <laughs> um, and man, that guy was incredible. Um, it was fun to watch him play. Uh, we were in the final group together and we both played awful on the front. And then I started making some birdies and then I made a bogey. Then I made another birdie. It was, it was kind of a wild day. Um, and kind of everything that kind of goes into it. But uh, I birdied 18, the par three to get into a playoff. And then basically got to go do it again 15 minutes later and hit the exact same shot and made a, you know, a six footer for, for birdie to win my first tour event. And, uh, I, I still remember it. it was like it was yesterday. Um, and no, you never forget your first. I don't think golfers have odd memory. We, we remember, like I could tell you shots I hit from when I was a kid, but I don't know. My wife would, my memory is not the greatest. She tells me to go do something and 15 minutes later, I've completely forgotten. So golfers <laughs> memories are kind of odd. <laughs> You touched upon there of Anthony Kim, and what was that like? Did he bring an additional pressure um, playing in the final group with him? You know, he just finished top five in an Open a couple of weeks prior to to the event there, and obviously he's well known, you know, great winner. Um, is it something that did it matter who you appear with that day, or were you sort of focused and that was it? Uh, maybe a little bit at the beginning, but honestly, we both played so poorly. Uh, we didn't really see each other a lot on the first nine holes. Uh, and, and, you know, he was kind of doing his thing and I was kind of doing my thing. And um, I think up until the, uh, the, let me think, uh, up until the fourth round, I had missed one fairway in the tournament and I did not hit a fairway on the first nine holes. And is that, is that nerves or is that a technical thing that got in the way? Or? Uh, and, oh, definitely nerves. I yeah. mean, like shots and like I, I had made some, I think I shot four over on the front and I had made some like nice putts to not shoot <laughs> significantly worse than that. And, you know, you look back and you laugh because like the things that were bothering me, the things I pay attention to now after doing it for this long, like it wouldn't really... I, honestly, I wouldn't really pay any attention to it, but I think there's a lot of things that go into that. But uh, maybe just to answer your question, maybe to at the beginning, I thought about it a little bit that you know I was playing with Anthony Kim, but it was very quickly realized to me that uh, I was going to be my own worst enemy, and my I needed to assess that very quickly, or uh, things were not going to end well. Yeah. And then the, the following week from there, you, you, there's no rest. You, you're straight into your first WGC event. How did you feel on that stage? Is it a kind of a, is it a bit of a I've made it moment? I mean, you probably had that the week before when you've won. Uh, is it easy to get caught up in those sort of emotions? Uh, maybe a little bit. Um, I remember I didn't really get a full night's sleep till about Friday or Saturday of that week. Um, just to, I'd wake up and you know, want to make sure like everything, like it wasn't a dream, like it, I, it really did happen and kind of everything that went in between there. And, um, but the first WC Akron was great. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you what I, how I played or anything memorable from the week, but, uh, just, just the whole experience of, uh, being recognized as a tour winner was, was something that, you know, everyone wants to achieve in their career. And, um, I, uh, it was definitely a waking up that Monday and and having some guys, you know, that I'd never spoken to in my life take the time to tell me congrats was, uh, was very kind of a, I guess, the I've made it moment. Yeah, and then, um, so you, you finish off the season, a couple of finishes again, um, but a bit like where we touched upon there in 2011, the 2012 season didn't start well at all again. Um and you, in the back of your mind, you know now that you're a winner, so maybe uh, a bit more relaxed. What was going on there? That there's quite a lot of missed cuts at the start of the season. Yeah, there was. Uh, I tore cartilage in five of my ribs. At, uh, this uh, base, it would have been my third event of the year, um, and it was the American Express. Now the Palm Springs event. My back was a little bit tight coming over from the two. Uh, I, I 
and just not not being aware of how to take care of your body, not learning how to deal with long travel and and just kind of, hey, I'm 25, 26 years old. I can do whatever I want without really having to kind of, you know, go through the process of, you know, getting everything moving around. And uh, I felt like I kind of tweaked my back a little bit and it kind of started progressing into my ribs and man it man it was rough <laughs> so basically so You're playing said, through all this so, for the whole time but the same thing too just the oh i'm exempt i can play and uh i had made a, a decent run into the world rankings at the time i mean i was in the you know probably the top at that moment to start the 2020 se- or the 2012 season i was probably top 70 in the world and just I had no idea how all that stuff worked, what your divisor was, what is like I'm exempt. Uh, it doesn't matter if I play good or bad. I'm going to play and just hope hope for something. And just the detriment that, you know, I put myself in, you know, physically was huge. I mean, I had no idea the ramifications that kind of came from just kind of playing through just – massive amounts of discomfort and pain and anyone that's ever had a kind of a rib issue and just dealing with the rotational component of golf is, uh, I never took any pain medicine. The only pain medicine I took was during the masters and I actually played. Okay. I finished 20th. But then if you look how I played the next month after that, where I, I, I didn't take anything and I just didn't heal properly. I didn't take the time that I needed to. I just thought, Hey, it's just eventually going to go away. And I didn't know how to shut it down. I, I didn't know how to do the things that you need to do as you get older in your career to make sure that you're going to be ready to play, you know, 30 weeks a year and kind of know what, what all that entails. And I kind of thought that I, I could do what I want when I want. And, you know, that definitely that mentality kind of transpires over the rest of my career uh, until a strong dose of reality comes in 2015. And, um, uh, looking back, it's not something I'm super proud of, but uh, it got me to where I am today and to realize that you only get one chance at this and you get one body and you need to be a good steward of it and uh, take care of, of what you've been given. And because if you do, it's, it's incredible what it's capable of. Yeah, it's, it's, you, you touched upon there the 2015 and life changing moments. And just uh, just before we go into that, obviously you'd had that win again in 2012 at the True South Classic. You, uh, you win there again, uh, and then you win your biggest event today at Tory Pines in 2014, um, and have a really good chance at defending the following year as well. Yeah, it was uh, uh, a good run there. I, I, Tory is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I love the facility. I love the course. Um, and it, it wasn't like that before. I just, I didn't give the course enough credit. Uh, I kind of thought, oh, you know, just, you know, like any guy that's a good player, it's like, oh, I can do this, I can do this. And just understanding, like, the value of par. And there's courses that we play that, you know, 16 pars and two birdies are going to get you a long way at a place like like that and you're kind of learning like when to put the pedal down and when to pull it back and you're kind of how to manage it all between there and uh, that was a, a a very uh big learning curve that I had to kind of get over and you know, kind of manage it a little bit and but it was a a, a very cool experience and very uh, cool honor to be a, a champion at a course like that yeah i mean they say you beat out you know the likes of jason day uh Pat Perez, Mark Leishman, KJ Choi, and Grandelet all finished second, one shot behind you. Um, that's you know quite a quite a feel behind you chasing down your neck on the on the final day, uh, and you go and shoot a 68 in in tough conditions. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at that point the people that are chasing you down are not necessarily something you're thinking about. The golf course is so difficult, and you know one mistake can be magnified by you know a lot of different things that can kind of happen, especially if something's trying to force in there. And uh, I think that's a nice thing about, you know, some of the more difficult courses we play, you don't really look at leaderboard. You don't really look at here and there. You just try to you know, focus on what you can control and you'll kind of manage it from there. And you kind of see, you know, what the course is, what kind of opportunities the course is giving you and you know, how you kind of manage it through the course of the day. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll go into now the, 
the the life changing the things that you made. I mean, you've got three wins under your belt at this point in your career. Um, is this a time where you had to reassess what it was that was going on with your body and, and your health, and for you to progress further, or is it a case of right, you've got this now in your locker, you've done these things, now you need to focus your attentions elsewhere? No, it was very much a. If I don't get a hold of this, uh, none of this will be. Uh, not necessarily, it wouldn't be worth it, but it would be uh, something that's not going to last very long. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, I started. Uh, we had my son was born in 2013, and you know that was a, a big adjustment for my wife and I, just learning how to travel, learning how to you know, be parents on the road and you know, kind of everything was going and still like I had started kind of training a little bit, kind of started dipping my toe into what that looked like and managing it all throughout and you know, just kind of seeing, you know, all right, what a healthier lifestyle looks like. And still, I mean, unfortunately I, I dealt with what I call like the justifiable society. Like if I do this, then I can do this. Yeah. And almost like justifying ways to, you know, eat stuff that's not good for you or whatever. Oh, well, I trained today so I can do this or I, I, I did this. So now I can do that, you know, like protagonist, antagonist and, and kind of uh, a cause and effect kind of a situation, which, as anyone knows, is not a recipe for, for success. No, and it, and it is a common thing, isn't it? If people do. They think that, you know, if you go to the gym once a day, well, whatever you eat that day isn't isn't a problem or you can run it off in the morning and things like that. and that's not how it works it's a there's a long-term problem there <laughs> yeah and i think that definitely goes into kind of a mentality standpoint too like especially when you deal with golf like oh i practiced six hours so that means I, d- I did this and unfortunately that doesn't work either um i've had some of my best practice sessions at 15 20 minutes and i've also had the days of six and eight hours where i look back it's like man i didn't get anything out of that and <sighs> Uh, you know, kind of a little bit more purposeful and understanding that, you know, kind of playing the long game and going on. But to kind of get back to it, uh, traveling around with the family and and kind of managing it, I had some some success in 2014 and uh, kind of carried me on. And just I started seeing these wild uh, range of feelings like when I was, you know, trying to prep to to play as far as just – really really high energy levels and then like the bottom falling out and a lot of it just had to do with some adrenal issues that were coming and uh just poor sleep habits and kind of everything that's kind of been well documented over the course of the last few years and uh kind of led me to search some questions and ask a much question to doctors and and the same thing uh ignorance is not an excuse uh, i'll take full responsibility for everything that i've done in my life and my career but but honestly that it came down to lack of due diligence on my part as far as i just i thought any doctor could help you irrelevant of what you did for a living and uh they were going to treat you with the best interest of what was best for your body and you know without any kind of understanding of doping or water or anything that deals with uh professional sports and um you know banned substance it, you know she was literally the doctor that was helping me at the time was uh just doing what was at best interest of her patient and uh she recommended some stuff to kind of beat some some things that could kind of help uh through the process of russ really trying to figure out what was causing what and I bought it at a grocery store. It was ten dollars and eighty-three cents, <laughs> and uh, uh, unfortunately, it was it was not allowed. And knowing what I know now, now that the due diligence has come, uh, looking back on it, I, I would have still done the same thing because I I would never want to put myself in a spot where I felt like my competitors would feel like I would try to gain an unfair advantage on them. Uh, but uh, I never failed a test. I never, I've never failed a test in my career. I was essentially suspended for, uh, admitted use of a banned substance, irrelevant of a positive test. I turned myself in, uh, yeah. and notified the tour. As soon as I found out it was on the list, I didn't give myself a, a second chance. I passed an Olympic blood test. I passed the, basically every test that was given. And I, my, when I originally went to the tour, I, my question was, 
how can this be on the list? And I've told you that I've taken it. And not only have I passed two traditional drug tests, I've now passed a blood test while being on this. So why is it on the list? And then I, I started working with a performance doctor and the substance that I was taking was DHEA. And in order to fail for that, it had to basically be injected through, you know, some type of vial. I was taking some capsule I bought at Kroger. I know you're yeah. not familiar with Kroger, but uh, in, in the South, pre-traditional grocery store. And who knows if it did anything? I mean, it could have just been placebo for all I know. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to know the rules and regulations that we abide by on tour. And ultimately, that's 100 percent on me. And uh, I dealt with the consequences that, that came from that. And uh, I'm better for it. How did you? How was the reception on tour from your fellow players? Did anyone sort of look at it as if you were trying to gain advantage, and you had to sort of justify it to other people, or did people just take you at face value? If you know, if you said this is what happened, and they sort of let it off, or was there a bit of disgruntledness from from players? No, there wasn't any disgruntled. I think that a lot of the the disgruntledness was from uh, the tour, as far as because I mean with the VJ Singh case and everything that's kind of been riddled with a controversy, a, a policy that has ultimately, if you have a policy where ultimate discretion relies on, comes down to one person and irrelevant of the rules and regulations of the tour drug policy is 28 pages long. <laughs> and uh, ultimately the last page it's, basically with the understanding that the commissioner can choose to enforce any part of this or not enforce any part of this based on his discretion at best interest of the tour. It doesn't say those words, best interest of the tour, but you know, you don't give that kind of just free reign if, unless you're going to choose what's in best interest of the tour. And unfortunately for the situation that I was in, um, 2015 golf was about to be in the Olympics. I was fully exempt. I was not going to lose my job. I was a golfer. I was doing the right thing at the right time when I didn't have to. And uh, I was basically a perfect candidate for someone to be, you know, kind of put out there as, you know, that whole process. But from the, the my fellow players, I was well-received. And honestly, I, I'll get a hard time about it every now and then, but those are my good buddies and especially to see some of the work that I've done the last few years and some of the changes that I've made in my body. I mean, it, it, a lot goes into it. And, um, I, I think that it's, it's been a good story to tell and it's not something that I necessarily try to shy away from because it's a part of where I am today. I think that, and that's an important thing to, to speak on is that you have made an incredible body change. This isn't something that is just, I mean, uh, working out, in golf has become quite common now i think a lot of people are lifting weights a lot of people are trying to get more distance but this isn't just that is it this is a whole complete lifestyle body change everything is there's so much more to it than than just lifting a few weights you know the training part is that's kind of a side story by itself but to try and transition from the from the suspension it allowed me some time you know, three, at, at, honestly, at that moment, three months was not going to do me any harm to get away from the game. Still, I thought I was exempt. I can play. I can do this. I can do that. I just kind of figured it out on the fly. But it basically forced me to, to take a step back and kind of look at it like I may never get this time again in my career to truly figure out what's going on. And I started reaching out to a bunch of doctors and that were the best in the world at what they did. I reached out to a guy at Boston University, a guy at UCLA. And a guy, the guy from Boston recommended the guy from UCLA as far as a diagnostician almost. Like if you've ever seen the TV show House where the guy just kind of figures out what's wrong with you, they really have those people. Yeah, and, that's him. <laughs> oh, that was him. And he was a, um, he'd work with a bunch of athletes at UCLA and kind of helped develop uh, just, just trying to help people, you know, become better versions of themselves. And, you know, he could dealt with some scary stuff and, um, everything that kind of went in between that. But, uh, I ended up going to see him and, uh, that was a life, the suspension was like, but the conversation with Tim was the reality of what I was dealing with. And I spent about a day and a half or so. I was in LA for a couple of days and, uh, 
at the end of it, we, he looked at me, he said, well, I can tell you, you're not going to die. <laughs> and I like my jaw hit the floor and I, I've said this in a hundred interviews now, but if I said, sir, if I would have known that, I don't know if I would have come here. I said, well, I tell some people every single day they have stuff that can't be cured. Yeah. And, and, and he said, if, he, he said, he said, if you're, if you're to the point where you're sitting across my desk, you, you have something like in your case where a bunch of things have happened at once and it's all kind of manifesting at one time, or you have something that literally cannot be cured. And I was absolutely dumbfounded. Yeah. And I call, I, do, I call my wife. Deal and, with that? <laughs> I called my wife and told her that I apologize for putting myself in this situation and to, you know, not being a good steward of what I had. And the guy that she knew at that moment was gone and I was going to do everything in my power to, to change every habit and every process in my life to become the best version of myself on and off the golf course. But at the time, time to be honest, like golf was the furthest thing from a priority in my life. Um, I played, I practiced and not necessarily I went through the motions cause I still love it, but I knew that in order for me able to do it for the long, the length of time that you're able to play competitive golf, I needed to take some time away to really focus on the stuff that I needed to do to, to make sure that I could go manage it for, you know, 10, 15 more seasons at, you know, a bunch of events and just kind of learning how to deal with everything that kind of comes your way of traveling and playing that length of season. And that's the thing is that this isn't just a golf-related injury. There is it's a health issue. It, you know, so everything has to change. It's not just a case of right where well, you need to swing differently. You need to you know look after yourself, play less. You, you really need to make wholesale changes to your life. And it's important that you talk about there that you, you did promise your wife and and yourself and made these changes. And, and without that three-month break from the tour, you may not it may have been easy to to overlook that and avoid that. I suppose. Yeah, it, honestly, it would have. Um, and ultimately, it came down to um, the scary words is like a, acute adrenal failure. But failure is a is a as a, I found out is a broad word in the medical field. Anything that doesn't work to its fullest potential is considered in failure. Like you could be in heart failure and live for a long time. Your heart yeah. just doesn't work to the, the fullest extent of what it's capable of. Uh, uh, and I got adrenal fatigue adrenal failure but it also also comes down to just habits and everything that goes into it from sleep to diet to nutrition to training to everything that goes along with it like all all had to be kind of worked around and completely revamped so my my trainer pt adam curly who lives here in tennessee and we started working with a bunch of doctors and just trying to figure out like truly what was going on and um, it was a, a really cool process and something that I'm still learning about today as far as just trying to figure out now, especially with this time that we have off. Um, like I may never get this time again in my career. This is the most time off I've ever had in my career without being injured since I started playing professional golf. Yeah, that's crazy. So I think, I, I think some guys looking at it like a detriment or whatever, but I mean, this is my 13th year of professional golf and, you know, a little bit of a break is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Don't get me wrong. When we get an opportunity to go out and play and compete again, I will be there with yeah. and be very happy to do that. But with two kids and an opportunity to be at home and uh, with everything that's happened in the world, the last thing that I'm truly concerned about is when I'm going to play golf again. Uh, my, my health and my family's health and safety is ultimate priority at the moment. And do the things that we're required to do to, to make sure that we're abiding by those rules and restrictions to, to make sure that, uh, you know, we can be there for the long haul and, and kind of endure through this little bit of a trial and, and come out better on the other side. And that, that was one of the things I was going to ask you is that obviously there's lifestyle changes and the training changes and things that you've made. Obviously you can never prepare for a pandemic such as this. I mean, it's, um, you know, unprecedented, but do you think you are better prepared to deal with it because of the, the, the issues that you've overcome and the and the headspace that you're in now and you can actually look at it as a positive as opposed to actually just itching to get out or becoming frustrating things like that? No, uh, I hit since uh, we played Thursday at Players and I didn't play well. I kind of hit some 
you know, just kind of skank some shots around here and there. And I uh, had a really good practice session Thursday afternoon when we got done. And I was amped to play on Friday. Like I'd kind of, you know, sorted some things out and, you know, kind of one of those aha moments as far as, you know, it all kind of clicked together. And um, the next thing you know, I'm meeting my caddy at seven in the morning and we're done. And we're, I was texting him last night and I hit balls for, I've hit a few, few shots here and there since there, but I actually hit some balls yesterday. And, you know, I, I definitely miss being out there playing competing, but I know that we're doing what's best for us. But um, to ultimately answer your question, I enjoy the off time as much as we get an opportunity to do it. Um, we just moved into our house out in kind of the country in Tennessee. We have a pretty good amount of land and uh, it's a nice place to have to be quarantined if you're forced to be. And uh, I have a gym on the property that we live and a place to hit balls and you know, kind of a fairly self-sufficient and plenty of room for my kids to run around and uh, be kids. And so it's a, something that we're very fortunate to be where we are. And I feel like our family has enjoyed. My kids have not really asked very much as far as what's going on. My son knows that he's not in school. He does school online and, you know, which is not too different from him from when they travel on the road with me. And yeah. so it's a, it's an interesting time for everyone and people are kind of adapting and dealing with things differently. And we're choosing to focus on the stuff that we can, we can control. And I try not to speculate on when I'm going to play and what I'm going to do and when I'm going to do this. I, I basically know what I know and I try to operate on the best information I possibly can. And if it changes, I'll adjust from there, but I'm not going to sit around. Hey, I think we're going to play here. Or I think we're going to do this. Or I think, cause I honestly, I have no idea. And nor will I ever say that I do. I have my thoughts as far as what I think we should do, but I, there's no, uh, speculation from my perspective as far as that does any uh, sort of just create more controversy and more uneasiness as far as what people are going to try to do in the world of golf yeah i mean how did you feel when you were when you were teeing up on thursday the players obviously there was a lot of uncertainty at that point about whether it should go ahead european tour have been cancelled other sports and events have been cancelled and they, they then announced that the rest of the week was just going to be without spectators and that was kind of their way of dealing with it but did you feel like you shouldn't be playing at that point it was a very uneasy feeling uh, when I got done on Thursday, just with the unknown of we found out on 16 fairway. Cause that was the, it, I was playing with Michael Thompson and Aaron Badley. Yeah. Um, and we were on 16 fairway when we found out about that the fans were not allowed the next day because the main entrance is right behind 17 and the amount of people that came from we played in the morning the amount of people that came to the course from when we were on 16 17 those are obviously the focal points of the golf course as well but that's the main entrance i mean it like 10 times what we had seen all day in that one moment when they had announced that there were no fans and then fans were only going to be allowed that day and then that was the the first realization of, all right, this is going to be a lot different. And then we get into scoring and the transition time of, you know, all our player relations people are there, the figureheads of the tour, and everyone's sitting there kind of having conversations. And I don't – there wasn't any, like, confrontational moments. It was just everyone just asking questions as far as what, like, are we – what are we doing? And yeah. what's our response going to be? And – um, cause the original idea of, Hey, we play golf, we're outside, you know, we can control it. We can do this, we can do that. And I think you start to realize real fast, the amount of people that it takes to run an event irrelevant of fans or not is still very high. And, you know, I, with the idea of if one of us were to, test positive in, in some form or fashion, whether a, a player, a caddy, or, you know, some type of someone that works for the tour. And I mean, ultimately that would just, it would immediately stop play. So it figured it was in the best interest for everyone to stop. And I think that was uh, expected all around sports. And I think that it was, it was nice to see all sports kind of fall on the same line. And because ultimately health and safety is the number one, whether or not sports are being played right now is should not necessarily be a priority for a lot of people. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and this, uh, 
it's good to hear you say that. I think you know there's, there are some golfers out there that that will be itching to get back, and of course you are too. There's competitiveness that you want to do, but you have to understand the seriousness of this uh, situation. Um, just just before you go, how difficult now then is it to get your mind towards playing golf again? Like it's going to happen at some point, but your normal practice routine. You said they you hit some shots the other day, but with nothing to work towards yet, is how hard is that to prepare for? It, it is and it isn't. Um, I've got a very unique scenario with the guys that I train with. Um, and we, I got on a call with uh, some of the guys that we train with in the off season as soon as we all found out we were canceled. Um, I've got a guy that is the catcher for the Nationals, uh, the baseball team, and another one of our very close friends is a lightweight, uh, UFC fighter, uh, 155 guy. And we, we were all shut down and we all got on a call. Uh, basically as soon as I found out I was shut down, um, I got on a call with these two guys, basically assuming the baseball was going to get shut down as well. It took them a day or two longer to kind of officially make the notice. And I said, guys, if we manage ourselves outside of the gym with our family, our life, everything, we can get better than we've ever been from a physical from a physical standpoint over the course of the next however many months we have the opportunity to train together so we made a pact and said i've gotten some flack on social media here and there as far as us training together but literally they're outside of my family they're the only people i see every day yeah yeah and And, that's amazing and i I think that that mindset well i just and you're asking about the golf side. I think when you have done it for a very long time, you realize like what it takes to truly get ready and, and to know that, you know, it's not this process of, Oh, I just go sun up to sundown, you know, for a week and I'm good to go. It's just, all right, I know my date. And then I'm going to kind of work towards that date as I prep. But the, the family atmosphere and the, the being in the gym with the guys and, you know, kind of work on not necessarily from a golf fitness standpoint, but just general fitness and uh, making sure that, you know, stronger, faster, better than you could be in, in all aspects. And, you know, stuff will kind of gear a little bit more towards golf once we kind of get a more definitive answer. I think that is going to be further away than sooner uh, based on all the things that have happened the last few days. But, um, you know, right now we we know a, a, a certain date that's in mind and may and whether or not people agree or disagree that you know that's actually going to happen you know that's the date that i know and you know that's the date can i kind of work on my schedule off of right now i mean that's still six weeks away yeah exactly and, and i think there's uh, a lot of people that would maybe look at it you know where you've gone to the gym and the training that that maybe uh has that affected your game has it changed your swing getting into a completely different body shape it's going to make adjustments to it do you think now you're in a in the best possible condition to be the best golfer you've ever been i mean you've won three times already can you see yourself doubling that tally and and more so in in the next few years yeah absolutely um i do do have some uh some golf swing changes that are going to be very easily made now than they were trying to play and compete on tour um and a lot of it had to do with some of the weight loss. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you weigh 250 pounds, the body just doesn't move that well. So you kind of stay pretty well stacked on top of the ball. And, you know, you drop, I mean, away about 185 right now, 190. And I'm stronger and faster than I've ever been. And so there's just a lot more – you just have a lot less to kind of keep you stacked where you need to be and – uh, that's just stack is kind of where I, I feel like I'm in the ground and, and I, I don't move off the ball very much. And, uh, I've got some stuff that I need to do, especially on my downswing as far I, I right bend a lot yeah. and kind of makes, uh, and it, all of it came from my ability from when I was heavier, my hips didn't really move. <laughs> no, 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 honestly, nothing really moved. And now everything moves a lot better. So your body kind of compensates a little bit and something I got to continue to work on and, and kind of help out with and, you know, no more time like the present to, to work on that now. And also, like you know, on and around the greens and the fields, the putting, obviously you've had a good short game in your career and how difficult is that? Is that an adjustment as well? Where obviously you go from working out a lot more and 
and then suddenly you're on a golf course and you, you've got a, a short chip or a putt. Is that harder to deal with in those sort of situations? Or no, I think it's uh, you know the the short game stuff has has been something that's been a priority. Um, uh, uh, my short game coach is Jeff Pierce out of uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. And my swing coach, Scott Hamilton in Georgia, and they've kind of worked together on the plan to kind of make it where it all matches up. It's like anyone. All right. You know, you have the weeks, you drive it good and put it good. You hit your irons and chip horrible or you you drive it bad and putt bad, but you hit your irons and chip unbelievable. It's just, I'm just putting it together all from all sides and kind of making sure everyone's working on the same page. And one interesting thing, um, right before the start of the fall, my short game, Jeff, he told me he wanted me to change all the lofts in my wedges. And I didn't understand why. And he said, I want you to be a more 50-50 pitcher of the ball between lob wedge and sand wedge. And I was just like, I don't understand that. He said, with the way that you deliver the club and your pitching motion, he said, you'd be a lot better pitcher of the ball if you used, you know, kind of the sole and the grind of, of a less lofted club with just a little bit more versatility. And I was like, okay, let, let's do it. And as of the players, I had hold it from off the green more than anyone on tour. Wow. <laughs> and that, but just like, just, just little things like that, as far as working with some coaches and some guys that kind of build in some analytics and some stats and stuff and try, try to figure out like, what's the missing piece here and, and just kind of continually working on that kind of stuff. And, uh, I got a great group of guys, my caddy, John, uh, you know, we've all been in constant com- you know, communication, just not necessarily speculating on when we're going to play, but just trying to make sure everyone's kind of biding in there together. And uh, we know we're going to play at some point, um, whether that's this year or next year or whatever. And, you know, I'll be ready whenever my name's called again. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that, obviously, the change with the wedges. And do you think you're much more receptive to change now in your goal? Obviously, you're off, off the course, you definitely are. But on the course, do you do you take on board more than you would have done sort of early on in your career? Or you've always been quite happy to listen to different voices? Uh, yes and no. I don't think I, I'm, I'm not scared to ask questions or kind of feel out things uh, to try to figure out ways to get better. I think I do a lot better job as far as, you know, taking bits of information, figure out how to apply it to myself. When before I'm like, all right, that guy won the tournament. I'm going to see how he did. Yeah. And this guy won this week is like, man, you start spinning your wheels on that. You end up for a world of hurt and a lot of misery because there's a bunch of different ways to do it. And I, then I, it took me a while to kind of figure that out and, you know, kind of own the way that I do it. And, but also with the understanding of, you know, you know, kind of pick and choose who you let speak in your game and speak into your life, whether that's a physical thing or a golf thing or a life thing or whatever. Um, but truly allow those people that have that access to speak into your life free reign to kind of help you become the best version of yourself. Great. I think that's a really good place to end there. I'm just going to let you get out of a, Get out of here, taking enough of your time. Obviously, you've got a busy schedule, even if you are stuck indoors. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to wish you all the best. Uh, hopefully, you and the family are safe. And uh, when you do get back out on the course, uh, hopefully the results uh, follow the mindset, and uh, we can see some uh, wins from you again soon. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, and stay safe. Thank you. All right, thank you, man.